Christians in Action Missions International is actively accepting applications from those desiring to win the lost at any cost. We've been sending long-term missionaries throughout the world for 62 years. We emphasize intentional personal evangelism, equipping disciples, and planting churches among the nations. We empower national leadership to demonstrate and declare the love of God to the unreached. Journey with us as we take the gospel to the world. Log on at CINAMI.org. That's CINAMI.org. Or call 559-370-4103. Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz with Redemption Press here. Are you a coach, pastor, blogger, small group leader, thought leader, ministry, or industry professional with a message that could benefit others? If so, we'd love to help you produce a professional book that can open new doors and be an impact to other people's lives. We'd love to hear about your idea and see how we can help with our personalized writing coaches and professional editorial team. Visit redemption-press.com. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have a special author by the name of David Ingerson. He has a book called The Caleb Years, When God Doesn't Make Sense. It's a story of, uh, of tragedy and love and also God's faithfulness in the midst of tragedy. And anyone who has lost a, uh, a young uh, child will appreciate uh, this story and uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here, Michael. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. It's good to be here with you. And, you know, as I'm reading your book, my wife is hearing some of the groanings and some of the, it's like you're experiencing as you're reading your book, again, the Caleb years, laughter and there's tragedy. It's everything mixed into one. And unless someone has experienced the loss of a child, um, you know, either way, it's it's something that just touches your heart in such a, a grand scale, but also uh, you, re, you know, remind us how faithful and loving God is, and even in the midst of tragedy, when it doesn't make sense. And uh, can you tell us about your book? Yes, you bet. Uh, Michael, as you've already said, we call it an inspirational story of 
hope in the midst of heartache and betrayal. Sometimes people ask me, betrayal? Who betrayed who? Well, sometimes we actually can feel as though God has betrayed us when we suffer such tragedy in our lives that are inexplicable to us, but there's more to it than that. This child was born, our fourth child in Okinawa, Japan. The first four, the first three were healthy and normal. So this fourth one we expected would be. However, he was born with a number of life-threatening congenital anomalies, not the least of which was a seriously malformed heart. And it just for us illustrated that, you know, in a key moment when you as a parent face a child who's going into a life and death situation, you're having to put the the care and the life and death care of this child in the hands of a surgeon you've never met before. Mm. But it's one of the most stressful things a parent faces is to release your child to someone you don't know, yes. depending on the expertise they have. And so he didn't necessarily embrace the miraculous, but we were. <laughs> and so our worldviews were a little bit stretched from one another, but we had to depend on him fully. So we prayed for him. We care for him. We love him. We appreciate him. And God chose to bring levels of healing through the surgeon's hands. And so for that, we were very grateful. We want to talk a little bit more and quite a bit more, actually, about uh, your uh, son, uh, Caleb, and the book, The Caleb Years. David Ingerson, he's our special guest. What would you do if you were told by doctors that your newborn child's life would be very short, that your baby would live at most only a couple of days. And so we're going to talk about this heart-wrenching story right after these words. And also it's going to lift up your faith as well. Stay with us. God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. Back with David Ingerson. He's the author of The Caleb Years, When God Doesn't Make Sense. If you've ever had loss or tragedy or the loss of a child, you'll be able to relate to this story, and it will hopefully uh, provide some healing. I had 30 days of, of, of time the military would give me by regulation to go attend to a medical needs of a child. And during that two-week expected period, I spent, I think, the entire two weeks with my wife and child in the hospital in Michigan. But at the end of that two-week period, even though it's extended longer unexpectedly, I had to go back to work. So I went back to Scott Air Force Base where my mother was there with the children. My mother agreed to stay longer to help care for the children so I could go to my job as an Air Force officer. And several times, actually <laughs> four more times, my wife called me and said, you need to come. We have some serious complications, things, things happening with your child. 
Now, we had friends who observed what we were doing, and they were helpful. And they said to me, what made you decide to fly? I said, my wife said to me, you need to come, and you better fly. Meaning, she wasn't sure I would get there before the child might not make it. Mm. Um, and that's very stressful for a parent to hear your wife say to you on the phone, you need to come. And that means to the hospital where she is with your two-year-old child and you better fly. Meaning you don't have eight hours to drive if you want to see your son alive. <laughs> that, well, you know, that's the thing that, that you hear throughout the book is how is this guy being you, you know, I'm thinking, Rita, how is he holding it together? I mean, only by the grace of God, because you had to be strong, you know, for your son, Caleb. And, uh, and yet you have to go to work. I mean, it's like, if I don't get good sleep, if I, I, I'm a, a mess, right? If I don't get good sleep. And you go through something like this. How do you go to work? But yeah, you know, and, and also working through the marriage during this you know, dynamic that has put a strain and all these things are happening at the same time, though. And this is the beauty behind the book is that God's grace and you're, you're posing the question, how do we keep our faith? How does God have an answer for us? How can we hear from him? What is he doing? And that's why the book, I mean, it's, it's effective on many ways and many levels, as you say in the book, when God doesn't make sense, that you can look into the abyss. You know, Michael. And this, this book answers a lot of questions. You know, I, I think I need to tell your listeners another story that many people tell me is their favorite story in the book. I almost hesitate to give it up, but, but I think I need to do that tonight. And first, I'll say this. Many people have said, and I have read, that marriages are stretched to their thinnest points when there is very, very serious stress and trauma to a family member. And many times, parents of medically very complex, chronic medical challenges end up separating because the stress is so great that they don't have adequate dependency on, on an outside force, which is what God is. He's outside of us, and yet he's within us through Christ if we have faith. And they just plain can't hold it together by themselves. And they look at each other sometimes more as enemies than allies, and they're driven apart emotionally, and they end up separating and divorcing. I had joined an organization called the National Association of Victims of Transfusion Acquired AIDS, NAVTA, N-A-V-T-A. I was the secretary on the board of directors of this organization. We were seeking to make blood safety better. We were seeking to make the requirements on the blood industry higher in order to help protect the blood supply so that other families wouldn't have to face an HIV positive child such as I did. So our efforts were, were very much you know, geared toward helping others. And we knew that our cute little three-year-old child, he was cute as a button, so he cute, was. pointy little nose, squeaky little voice, and he walked very well with a funny little sort of a wiggle walk, and he was just cute as a button, and we wanted him to be part of a, a media event that we were going to host. It's pretty convenient when you work at Andrews Air Force Base, as I did, flying at the presidential airlift wing at that time as a pilot. It's pretty handy. You're right next to Washington, D.C., so it's easy to organize press events in Washington. We're right there. So I was advising my wife of our plans, and in no uncertain terms, she made it very clear to me that no, she was not supportive, and she did not want her son on the cover of Time magazine. He's a child. 
He needs to enjoy his childhood. She did not want him to be a poster child for HIV, for blood transfused HIV. Well, <laughs> I had a different story. We had already scheduled the press event, and I was not going to go to my board of directors and say we're going to cancel it. We were going forward forward with the plans for my child to be a large part of this media event. So I got right up in my wife's face, nose to nose, and said, I'm the man in this house, and I've decided we're going to do this. <laughs> she stepped back. <laughs> and you I have to wild. tell you, Michael. You got wild. <laughs> I have to tell you, neither one of us have ever laid a hand on the other. At that time, 14 years of marriage. Today, now, 33 years of marriage. We're, we're still in honeymooners, deeply in love and praising God for it. But my wife stepped back and enraged in the moment when I was so challenging her and trying to declare that I was deciding unilaterally we were going to do this. She hauled off and slapped me. <laughs> now, now, I know you can't imagine how it could be funny, but these years later, it is. I stepped back, I rubbed that offended cheek with one hand, and I immediately reached with the other hand for the phone. We all had landlines in that day, and I hit 911. I put the phone to my ear, still rubbing my left cheek with, with my hand and the other hand in my ear, and I said to the operator who said, 911, what is your emergency? I said, my name is Major David Ingerson. I lived at four. I live at forty-five fifty-two dash A Fairway Avenue at Andrews Air Force Base, Maryland. My wife is violent and out of control and in need of immediate psyche, psychiatric care. <laughs> I read about now, that. No one was laughing at that moment, and the woman on the other end of the line said, "Um, I'm sorry, sir. Did you say your wife is in need of?" psychiatric care. I said, that's right. She needs to be institutionalized immediately. No wife is in my house is going to be violent and attack her husband, not in my house. <laughs> so what did the woman do? She said, uh, oh, give me a minute, sir. She put me on hold. Now I'm an Air Force officer. I'm a pilot. I fly Gulfstream threes and fives and transport the nations and world's leaders across the globe so I know something about technology. I know something about procedures. And it seemed to me this young lady was not following procedures by putting me on hold and just leaving me hanging. So I got frustrated with her. I hung up the phone. I looked at my wife and I said, okay, if you're going to be violent and attack your husband, I, I, I can't be, be assured you're, that my children and I are safe. You're going to leave our house and I'm going to go get you checked into some psychiatric ward. And so my wife said, okay, then I'm out of here. And she grabbed a pillow and walked downstairs. It was a two-story small apartment. We lived in on base at Andrews Air Force Base. So I woke up in the middle of the night <coughs> hearing a beeping noise. I had no idea what this beeping noise was. It was about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning. I, I walked in the darkness toward the beeping, and I finally made my way into my son's room. And there was this LED flashing obstruction. Please care obstruction in this pump a nocturnal feeding pump that pumped Pediasure into my stomach. I started fiddling with every button, every, every switch, everything on this small, fairly simple piece of equipment. As a pilot, we always think we can push any button on some piece of equipment and it'll fix the problem. Hmm. I couldn't get the problem fixed. Obstruction, please clear obstruction, kept flashing at me and beeping. So I went downstairs. I stood in front of the couch where my wife was laying sleeping, wrapped in a little afghan, and I cleared my throat. <clears throat> Excuse me, dear. She ignored me for several minutes. Finally, I broke down and started weeping. I knelt down on my knees and said, Kathy, I need you. Please wake up. 
our son needs you. There's a problem. There's an obstruction in his nocturnal feeding pump. I can't clear it. Can't you hear that beeping? And she didn't even look at me, but she turned her head my way. Said, yes, I heard the beeping for the last two hours. I wondered when you were going to hear it and wake up. I'm not here. I'm in a mental ward, remember? <laughs> so at the moment, no one was laughing. I but with tears, I said, can't you please help? Well, the long and the short of it is she went upstairs. She's a nurse. She knows how to take care of these things. <clears throat> there was an obstruction in the actual G-tube, the gastrointestinal tube that goes from the outside and inside of the child's stomach. And to remove that and replace it, which is what has to be done to clear the obstruction, you have to take a syringe and remove the water that's in a little balloon inside the stomach to deflate that, to pull out the gastrointestinal tube, then get a new one, put it in, inflate the water balloon inside to hold it in place. I can't do those things. I'm a pilot. I don't know how to do those things. I haven't been trained to do those things. And if it weren't for my wife, we couldn't have taken care of the problem. I've had to call 911 all over again. The end of the story, though, Michael, is that we sat down, we lay down in bed together and looked up into the darkness, just laying next to each other and said, you know, we really do need each other. We can't become enemies. We have to be allies. We're both going through a very, very difficult time. We need each other. And then we both basically turned and embraced and said, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. I'm sorry, you're forgiven. We were taught very well before we got married, those 14 years before at that time, that whenever we have conflict in our marriage, we need to say to each other, even if we don't feel like it, we need to say it and mean it. We need to say, I'm sorry, you're forgiven. And we chose to do that, Michael. It was not easy to say that that night. And yet by the time we went through the difficulty of the evening, we both realized with tears that we needed each other mm. as much as we needed the Lord and as much as we needed our faith and as much as we needed to remain stable in our thinking, we needed each other. David Ingerson, our special guest. The book is called The Caleb Years, When God Doesn't Make Sense. And would you give up in resignation, blindly accepting the doctor's pessimistic excess assessment, or would you fight for his life against all odds? And the author and inspirational speaker with us again, David Ingerson, found himself faced with these very questions when his fourth child was born. And we'll come back and we'll learn a little bit more about uh, how he overcame this as far as, uh, you know, just... I mean, how do you, not, you never get over it, I'm sure, and, uh, but how you endured and stayed strong in the faith and inspiration to us all right after these words. Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Caleb years when God doesn't make sense, his account of his son Caleb who died in, and how many years ago was that? It was 19 years ago on September 10th when he died, the year 2000. How, how has he worked on you in all these years even gone by? And a double question, and do you ever get over this? 
<laughs> three months after my son died, I was driving from Washington, D.C. up to Baltimore, Washington. I was a passenger in the car with another pilot <clears throat> from the presidential airlift wing. We were driving up to Baltimore to visit an FAA, Federal Aviation Administration office, to conduct some official business. We're driving along in his car, and again, I'm a passenger. All of a sudden, this friend and officer, fellow officer, pilot, who was participating in Bible studies with me, one of the very few uh, walking in faith men at this organization, he turned and looked at me and said, so when are you going to be finished grieving for your son? And Michael, for four years, three years and nine months after my son died, the entire period of time, I had only been at this organization three months when my son died in my arms. For those next three years, nine months, my son's name was never uttered, never verbalized in the squadron at work, not even one time, not by me, not by anyone else. And as far as I knew, at this point, only three months after my son's death, I hadn't been in any way talking of his death, his life, our grief, nothing at all around the squadron. So I was totally taken aback by his question. And again, the question was, David, when are you going to stop grieving for your son? And I remember I answered him in a very mechanical fashion without even thinking. It's as though I heard myself say, actually, he asked me the question, how long are you going to keep grieving for your son? My answer, my immediate answer was, as long as he's still dead. You know, that answer to that question sounds a little uh, almost ominous, mm. but no, it's actually healthy. When we have an arm removed, amputated, we know for the rest of our lives that we have perhaps, what's it called, a prosthesis, mm -hmm. or maybe not, but we know we are missing an arm. And Others know as well, but not always, especially if we hide it well and put that prosthesis in a regular sleeve. It's like that, I think, when we lose someone that we consider the death of a child to be so out of order that it should not be. When those sort of deaths happen, I think they, they're with us forever. It's, it's as though you have a permanent um, handicap. But wait a minute, are you going to let a handicap stop you from being successful, stop you from being victorious, walking in victory, walking in faith? Of course you're not. I hope you're not. But it's a choice that you're going to have to at some point make. I don't think I was ready to make it at the three-month point when my fellow pilot said, how long are you going to keep grieving for your son? I Is said, as long as he's still dead. question. Insensitive, I, I think, though. <laughs> Here's one thing I like to say to people. When you encounter someone who may be grieving or is grieving, don't be afraid to ask them how they're doing, and don't be afraid to mention the dead person by name, mm. and if you know the name. Or, how, we're, we're sorry to hear about the death of your son. How are you doing? We're sorry to hear that Caleb died. What's going on? You know, when people say the name of the child, they're actually singing a song to you. They're actually lifting your spirits. Now, the person 
may not act as though their spirits are being lifted, but guaranteed they want to hear the name of their loved one said, we don't grieve very well in our culture. I had a woman in Tel Aviv, Israel, ask me a few months after my son died. I was there on a trip. We met in a hotel, and she asked me if I had wailed, and I said, no. I've read in biblical commentaries that ancient Israel, they would hire professional whalers. She said, oh, that's true. We still do that to this day for two weeks in Israel. Today, she said to me, for two weeks, there will be professional whalers uh, making a circle around you and whaling as you walk around in public. So you can whale inside that circle and no one knows. We don't grieve very well in our culture. I think we need to whale. And if we whale, I believe we will be well. Jesus said that a seed that remains a single seed um, does not reproduce, but if a seed dies, it can then produce Mm. a harvest. And that's what we believe the life of our son has been, a seed. Yes. It had to die in order to grow. I mean, it's it's amazing how many lives Caleb has touched in in the story and in the pictures, and he's smiling and and you know it has God's uh, light on him. And um, it's hard to imagine, you know, as, as all this is going on, who's witnessing to who? Because <laughs> I like to think that you were trying to witness to your son, your your wife, trying to read the you know reading the Bible to your son. At the same time, I I like to think that uh, Caleb was witnessing. Uh, to everyone, to your wife, Kathy, to you, to your children, and to people who read this book, The Caleb Years, When God Doesn't Make Sense, David Ingerson, our special guest, in a marvelous story. It's crafted in language, honest and vivid, sure to deepen the faith and joy of the reader, says Eugene Peterson, best-selling author, you know him, translator of The Message Bible. And so uh, remaining thoughts, uh, there are going to be parents who are going to hear this uh, interview and some of them just going through this, or some trying to get over it, or some never getting over it, but uh, deepening in our faith in Christ, because as Job had uh, come to terms with, unless there's an internal purpose and reason, and of course, unless uh, he lives, you know, Jesus, and has been risen from the dead, we have no faith, we have no hope. And so, uh, would you pray for uh, our listeners, and uh, and also I want to just ask before you do, though, have you come to the terms of just uh, that there's so much more importance that you are reminded of the eternal significance of, of Jesus and that this uh, uh, meaning and the purpose in your son um, has affected so many people, and have you come to terms with that? Michael, It took me 13 years to write and then a year to publish. So 14 years from the death of my son until our book was published, 14 years. And, you know, it was two years that I had spent a lot of time doing some traveling, sharing our story, doing radio interviews. And I was often asked the question, have you reached a point where you're thankful for your son's life and death? And do you see a purpose in his life and in his premature death? I wasn't ready to answer that question. I changed the subject on many radio interviews. (laughs) And then finally, one day, a couple of years ago, a couple of years after the book came out, I was asked that very similar question by a young lady on on a, a program. and. I heard myself answer the question by saying, yes, I've reached a point where I'm thankful for my son's life and his death. And although I 
really prefer to have him with me. I know that there is a greater plan that God has used, is using, and will use not just our pain, but also our joy and our victory in the child's life and in his death and in the testimony that his life was. It's a privilege. I used to think it was a curse. Now I believe it's a privilege for us to share his story. And anytime we speak to someone who has lost a child, even an adult child, I met a dear woman whose 38-year-old son died just within the past year and a half. She read our book and was very much encouraged. And I had to remind her that God also lost a son. And that son's loss brought life, life eternal to all who would believe. Therefore, our sons, daughters, our family members who die prematurely in our mind, they likewise, we have the privilege likewise of using their testimony, their story of faith, and seeing others come to faith. And so I consider it a great privilege that we have the privilege and opportunity of doing that upon the death, the life, and the death of our son. And as a father, in do you sense your son? I mean, do you sense him the way that you know how you sense Jesus and the Holy Spirit and uh, your relationship with God uh, through the years? Do you sense him? Michael, it wasn't long after our son Caleb died when I began to really fear. I was I was facing some sort of a panic attack. I was I was clutching to have a feeling, a very near experience with my son. I I even was so stressed because I thought I was beginning to forget what he looked like. His memory, his picture, his face was becoming cloudy in my mind. Never mind all the pictures I could go look at. I was just in my mind. I was I was becoming really panicked, thinking. Every day that goes by is one day longer since I've seen this child. But one day it occurred to me, quite the contrary, with every day that goes by is one more day closer till the time that I will see him. For the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. One day is as a thousand years. If those in heaven have a similar reality When we see him again, we might say, oh, it's been 30 years, 50 years, 60 years since we've seen you. He'll just shake his head, look at his watch and say, it's it's been less than two minutes. Yes. And sometimes, whether it's been less than two minutes or whether it's been 20 years, you will feel, you will feel emotion. You will feel pain. You'll feel, you'll have a tear as I do right now. But those tears are healing tears. Tears that are not shed for one like this become toxic inside your body. So I tell people, let them go. Let those tears go unashamedly and receive healing. The child in heaven does not need any more healing anymore. For 19 years now, he's had a perfect body. So do I grieve for him? No. Do I grieve for myself? Yes. But sometimes even the grief is nothing more than a yearning to tell others about my son. One year after my son died, I was in worship in church. One year. One year is still pretty fresh. And suddenly in the middle of worship, I saw people with their head and hands raised to heaven. 700 people, a pretty large church in the Washington, D.C. area, Bowie, Maryland, actually. And I wanted to scream, stop, everyone, stop. What are you doing? Don't you realize 
you're all going on as though life was the same. My son lived, he died, and you're all acting as though he never did. I didn't say those things, Michael, but I thought them. And as I came to the end of those thoughts, all of a sudden, I heard this voice in my mind say, now you know how I feel. I fell to my seat, and I began to weep. And I say, Lord, okay, I know and I understand that your son lived, that he died, and we're going on through our life as though he never did. And you know God loves us so much that he is not going to beat it over our heads. He is not going to shame us. He's not going to give us any condemnation and tell us, you need to be listening, obeying my son. He is saying with his arms outstretched, his bloodied hands of Jesus, he's reaching out to embrace us. And he says, life has disappointments. Life has sorrow and pain. I'm here to take that pain, but you need to give it to me. So I praise God that I heard the voice. I believe it was God's voice saying, now you know how I feel. In other words, Jesus died. He lived and he died for all because of God's love. And he wants us to know him, to trust in him, to believe in him, even when we don't understand the things he allows in our lives that are painful for us. God is God, and he's with us in plenty, in good times, and also in the times of deep sorrow. Shall we pray? We shall pray. I want to mention to our audience once again, The Caleb Years is the name of the book, When God Doesn't Make Sense. David Ingerson has been our special guest sharing his story, and you say in the book that our son, Caleb, knew he didn't have time to waste. He had a job to do and a little time in which to do it. He needed to get on with it. Caleb never struggled with the question of why he was born this way. He simply sought to live and live his life to the fullest. In doing so, he lived as he was born to glorify God. And would you pray with us? And we, again, we appreciate you being on the program. Beautiful. Thank you, Michael. Father God, in Jesus' name, I am so ooh, stirred and encouraged to consider, Lord, that you love us, that you love all of us, each and every one. You love us in our pain. You love us in our sorrow. You are with us in the deep pits of despair that we sometimes find ourselves and I thank you, O God, that you are there. And sometimes when you seem silent, you are still there. There's healing coming. And we'll be like those oak trees that have that dark ring from the winter season. The strength of our character comes from the times when we don't understand what you have allowed to come into our lives that we do not welcome but may we welcome you, and may we, in our pain, may we, in our times of confusion, allow you to embrace us, because you do love us. And, oh, God, I thank you for the privilege of having our son, Caleb, and all of our children, Sarah, Andrew, Hannah Joy, Deborah, <laughs> and now the husbands of those two girls and the grandchildren they have. I thank you, God, for the privilege, oh, God, for every one of Michael's listeners today and those that will hear this discussion, may we all embrace the Son of God. May we embrace you, Lord Jesus, in your love and in your sacrifice, and in your suffering and in your death and in your 
resurrection. And may we walk with your resurrection power today, tomorrow, and unto eternity. Bless my brother, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with him tonight in Jesus. And your ministry, Christians in Action Missions International. Of course, you're a sponsor of our program. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? You bet, Michael. In 1994, my family joined a church in Okinawa, Japan, that became one of the most important local fellowship churches for us over the years. And this church had a medical dental mission trip to the Philippines, and I had the privilege of going the first time in 1994. Those efforts of taking for two weeks a medical dental team to the Philippines and preaching the gospel has gone on now every year since that year, 1994. This was all done under the auspices of Christians in Action Missions International, which is a 62-year mission-sending agency founded in Long Beach, California in 1957. Finally, years later, I was invited to come join the board of directors of the organization in 2014. At that time, I was retired from the military and was, in, was involved in a number of different for-profit businesses and ministry also. So in 2014, I joined the board, but then in 2017, I was asked to come and serve as the president. So for the past two years, I've served the mission as the president and CEO. We today have 84 missionaries in 21 countries. <clears throat> we have 350 national workers who are planting churches, sharing the gospel in 21 countries around the world, throughout Central America, South America, Africa, Asia. And it's a great privilege to be a part of this mission. So I just thank you for the opportunity of being a sponsor of your program. We encourage anyone who wants to learn more about Christians in Action to visit our website. It's C-I-N-A-M-I dot O-R-G. Once again, the Caleb years when God doesn't make sense. David Ingerson, thank you for sharing your heart, your compassion, and also just the gut-wrenching moments that, uh, that you, your wife, your children went through, but also how you have been healed uh, the healing power of Jesus and how he draws us to him, even in dark times. And once again, thanks again for being on the program. Amen. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.